Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all. This is the Business Day Spotlight, your destination for African business made simple. Uh, my name is Mudiwa Kawaza, and for today, we're getting into a conversation around um, connectivity um, on the African continent. A lot has been said about the internet revolution, uh, but that internet revolution is only as good as our ability to actually connect uh, to the internet, to connect our devices, our organizations, our homes. Um, and the like to the World Wide Web. And uh, today we're going to be talking to uh, one of the largest players um, on the continent when it comes to the infrastructure that is actually connecting us, um, you know, on a fiber level, on a satellite level, on an undersea cable. Uh, they are playing in a number of markets that is uh, liquid intelligent uh, technologies. And uh, for today we are joined by David Uren, who is is uh, the CEO of Liquid Data Port. David, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Maniwa. Pleasure. Just uh, perhaps a good place for us to start, Liquid Intelligent. Uh, people, you know, know uh, that particular company in the local telecom sphere in South Africa, um, you know, as uh, one of the big infrastructure players and also on the continent as well, probably one of the largest fiber networks uh, that the continent has. But when we talk about Liquid Data Port, specifically uh, the unit that you are looking after, what are we talking about? Yeah, thanks, Maniwa. So liquid intelligent technology is a big player in South Africa, but it's a big player on a Pan-African scale. Um, we operate the largest cross-border fiber network in Africa, which hover 110,000 kilometers of fiber across 16 countries. We have presence in actually 30 countries uh, commercially. Uh, but in South Africa, uh, liquid intelligent technology has, has proven that um, it is it is uh, the reference player for enterprise services, connectivity, uh, but also cloud and cybersecurity. And all this really relies, as you said in your introduction, on the ability to connect South Africa and the rest of Africa to the world and to each other. And that has been the mission of uh, liquid intelligent technology for about 20 years, right from our start in Zimbabwe. And as we expanded by buying Neotern in South Africa, for example, um, and we have assembled uh, a unique set of assets from subsea cables, uh, terrestrial fiber, but also a lot of capacity on uh, satellite um, constellations and we are going to talk hopefully about this how we progress towards having more uh, presence on on the satellite space for liquid data port uh, we are responsible for the international connectivity piece uh, under liquid intelligent technology this includes all the subsea cable assets all the cross-border connectivity between the different countries that we operate in those 16 and all the satellite capacity and installation of VSAT uh, antennas at our customers' premises. So when it uh, when it comes to actually making uh, decisions around uh, connectivity, 
you know, on the continent. There's so many different ways in which people are connecting to the internet right now. Um, you know, on a South Africa level, you know, a lot of people are connecting on their mobile phones. And I think that's the case, um, you know, in the rest of the continent as well, uh, where the mobile device is um, the primary, you know, way in which people are connecting to the internet. Uh, but also at the same time, there's different dynamics at play. Uh, fiber, you know, continues to be probably the cheapest way to get an unlimited connection. Um, you know, at least, um, you know, albeit with large upfront costs, uh, but at least on an unlimited level, you can, you can, you do very well um, from a cost point of view. And then the satellite uh, for people that are. You know, at least uh, from my understanding, people that are in outlying areas, you know, places where there is no fiber, places where your mobile networks are a bit patchy and the like, and all of it connected to the rest of the world with subsea, you know, and under undersea cables. How does Liquid think about its investment, right? Because you guys have um, you guys have infrastructure in all the different layers that I've just uh, decided on. But because you're dealing with it on a pan-African level, I guess we're having a discussion around how do you appropriately connect the African continent to the internet, right? Uh, because I'm sure that then informs capital allocation decisions around what you're going to uh, be investing in. So right now, from what you can see, right, what is... I, can I call it what is the best way to connect Africa to the, <laughs> you know, to the internet, especially given, I don't know, geography, typology, uh, you know, all of those uh, different factors that uh, we have to think about. Yeah. So, Mdiwa, you got it right. We, uh, we all have a phone in our pockets now. Um, you know, uh, majority of, of Africans have a phone in their pockets, not enough Africans have the means uh, to um, access the internet on an affordable basis uh, across the continent. And that is one of our key mission uh, at, at Liquid Intelligent Technology. We always say we do not want to leave any African behind. Um, so the way we work towards this on our side is to make sure that the mobile operators who have the uh, responsibility to actually connect those people with those phones um, are using our infrastructure to connect their base stations or their own infrastructure to have the most uh, cost-efficient uh, and fastest possible access to uh, their own assets, the global internet, and, and so forth. And mobile operators are a big customer base for, for liquid intelligent technology, for liquid data port. Um, and that's been the case for many, many years. On our side, we also play on the enterprise side. So companies like banks, um, large retail players, uh, mines, um, governments, um, all uh, re require what you call you know, the, the most affordable and cost-efficient uh, way to connect to the internet on an unlimited basis, which is fiber. Uh, and we've deployed not only this great backbone that crosses uh, the, the, the borders that I was talking about before, but also a lot of metro network and local access network using uh, fiber optic cables. 
Uh, and that represents a big proportion of what we do at Liquid Intelligent Technology. Now, there are a number of use cases, as we call them, uh, which is that the customer wants to access the internet, wants a certain quality of service, but is not close enough to fiber, or they already have fiber, but they are a bit concerned about having the uh, capability to access in a different way, uh, having redundancy, as we call it in the industry. So if ever anything happens, if, if you know a truck uh, breaks something on the road and the fiber doesn't work anymore, and we have to go and spend a few hours repairing it, they keep having connectivity. So we, we call that the backup uh, uh, provision. And for this, satellite is a great, great tool. And we are investing more and more at Liquid Dataport in capacity on, on satellite services with a different number of, of uh, global suppliers. Um, and we've all heard about you know, Starlink and OneWeb and, and other constellations of services that are coming to the market now who are also going to change the game. You know, when you are talking about um, all of these different uh, factors that you have to think about, one of the things that you know, I wonder about is there's a lot of building that's happening, all right, um, across the different, um, what you call this, across the different uh, layers of connectivity that you've just spoken about, uh, whether it's yourselves or some of your competitors, there's a lot that's going on. And one of the things I always wonder about is, are we going to get to a stage where we're no longer building, where we're no longer trying to put fiber in the ground, where we're no longer trying to shoot up satellites, um, you know, into the air. Because there's a lot of infrastructure, but maybe you could help us to understand what, how the gaps are looking, um, you know, right now, because that probably informs how you guys are thinking about your own, uh, what you call this, your own roadmaps. Yeah, so do two two answers on that on that question. Are we ever going to stop building? The first the first part of the answer is that the customers, mobile operators, large enterprises, governments, some of the you know lots of SMEs, uh, certain uh, individuals and, and households who already have access to fiber are always finding new ways to use more of it. Um, videos, social media, and now, very importantly, the use of uh, artificial intelligence, which is going to change a lot of the ways that we actually consume these bandwidth, and a lot of assets are going to have to be built to support that, that revolution. The second part of the answer is there are lots of people across the continent that do not have access to a good internet connection, be it with a mobile connection in their pocket or um, a, a satellite connection yet, or, um, or even fiber. So a lot of countries are actually cooperating with Liquid and asking to come and invest um, in, in the big cities first and then the smaller cities, and, and we make our way down um, the scale 
to actually bring fiber to a mobile data station, to uh, a police station or a school or an embassy and so forth. Um, there's a, a long way ahead. Uh, I think we've only started. The continent is, is big, 54 countries. We have the ambitions to be present everywhere in this in this 50, 54 countries. And therefore, there's, there's a lot of things to do. Um, now, fiber is not the answer everywhere. Uh, again, satellite has a great role to play. Uh, there are new technologies coming online on satellite that are going to be able to provide either great service at a still fairly high cost, but also very affordable entry-level service um, for the many like villagers in, in, in very rural areas who cannot afford a high service, but want to have access. And we're working with, with a number of partners to make sure that all those communities can actually leverage those new technologies and this new price point to have access. When uh, when we talk about when we talk about I guess decisions around infrastructure, um, the rural connectivity debate has been I think a big one, and uh, I remember a couple of years ago, um, Liquid made an announcement about. Uh, I want to I want to get into the weeds a little bit for a moment and get a little bit technical. Uh, because because uh, I was a, I was a little bit fascinated by this, fiber is typically uh, laid in the ground, right? Um, people in neighborhoods, you know, have seen all the little cars, um, you know, going around and you know connecting, you know, different neighborhoods, and then those get you know fed into central exchanges, and then you have uh, backhaul networks that are all connected with fiber, and it tends to be underground. Right. But I remember a couple of years ago, uh, you know, Liquid was playing around with with terrestrial fiber, right, in certain parts of Africa because uh, the rationale was um, it's cheaper to do to do terrestrial fiber. And especially if you're going out into areas that are sparsely uh, that are not as densely populated, you know, let's try and get a connection into those areas as soon as possible. Um, so I do understand the fact that, you know, fiber is not for everyone because it's very expensive to put into the ground. But now I'm just thinking about um at what point do you then decide, okay, fine, we're going to do a terrestrial fiber, um, you know, versus let's just get a satellite, you know, connection that's there because um, both of them carry uh, what you call disadvantages or disadvantages. Uh, I've actually, my parents live in an area where there's terrestrial fiber, and I know that it's almost like a phone line, right? It's almost like the old phone lines from back in the day. If there is a thunderstorm or if a tree falls on the thing, it breaks down, you call the technicians, they come, they fix it. So it does have its advantages and disadvantages. Um, but, you know, satellite has tended to be a bit slow. Yeah, so, yeah, keen to understand those ones. Yeah, so as you say, most of our network is, is fiber that has been laid in pipes, we call them ducts, on the ground. So about 1.5 meter, we do a big trench and put this big pipe. And then after that, we come and install those little tiny um, pair of, um, of fiber optic uh, glass. It's basically glass material. Um, 
But in some part of our network, we have, for technical and sometimes commercial reasons, installed fiber on ports, um, sometimes using uh, existing electricity poles. Um, uh, and that creates also the same network, it's just attached, and then you can see those, those um, uh, fiber cables along the roads. Now, those uh, deployments are more uh, subject to, are more vulnerable. As you say, a tree can fall down, uh, a bushfire can destroy the pole and, and, and make it fall down on the ground. Uh, we also have sometimes have trucks uh, going through and, and, and ripping off the cables uh, and so forth. So there is um, a balance between the cost of trenching and having a very robust network and you know the cost of actually putting this fiber on poles so there is a consideration there um, typically on long distance we prefer on the ground because it's actually quite hard to maintain uh, and to come back to the site where there's been a, a break uh, very quickly you know balances the savings that you've made by attaching to a pole. Now, you also talked about um, a satellite again. Uh, there is um, a very deep um, uh, amount of uh, thinking at the moment within my group and liquid intelligent technology as a whole about the balance, the pros and cons of fiber against other technologies, including satellite. Um, satellite with the new LEO constellation, Starlink, OneWeb, and, and others soon, um, is making a lot of progress in terms of proposing a new price point uh, for the connectivity. And therefore, it's shifting this, um, this balance between when it's affordable to do fiber, when it's affordable to do satellite, um, and we're constantly reviewing our business cases and our approach with our engineers to um, make the best use of those different technologies. It's very important for us to understand um, how we're going to position this for the consumers and for our enterprise customers. Um, at the moment, I personally believe that the satellite industry is getting to a point where the price points to get an antenna installed is in a village or on the top of an enterprise building or sometimes even on a house. It's getting to a point where it's gonna be more affordable to take this service than many other services out there. And, and that's why I think we're gonna start seeing a wave of satellite um, installations in areas where we have thought satellite was not going to be uh, economical and we have to use other technologies. So it's a very exciting time for the satellite industry and for liquid because we use those technologies as well. I think uh, it's it is a good time to 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 drill uh, down a little bit into uh, satellite. Maybe you could talk to us around some of the improvements um, that are making you think in the way that you're now thinking. You know, to say that okay, fine, um, maybe we can um, rebalance. Um, I'm going to, I guess, 
my understanding of the of the old way in which satellites have worked um is the fact that uh you know you have low middle and uh, geo orbiting satellites and geo your geo orbiting satellites which are the highest ones have tended to be the the, the traditional way in which uh, satellite communications have been received Fortunately or unfortunately, it's great you, because you can literally communicate with something as long as you have a transmitter on the ground, you should be fine. But, you know, there tends to be issues of latencies and speeds. And um, I think the last I checked, you can only go as high as it was 40 megabits per second. I, I, I need to be corrected, you know, on that one, you know, back in the day. So I've painted the picture of how things were uh, back in the day. And also at the same time, these systems used to cost a lot of money for for businesses, households. I think farmers, schools, hotels, those types of things in outlying areas have tended to be the ones to use things like your satellite. So that's my understanding of what the satellite landscape has traditionally looked like. Right now, you know, the things that are changing, what's changing in the mix that I've just described that's getting you excited? No, thanks, Maliwa. Um, you're right. Traditionally, the high altitude, we call them geostationary satellite, have been, have been the one providing um, capacity that you can use if you install a fairly large antenna on the ground. Um, and users, governments, embassies, um, large retail groups, mines, lodges, people who have uh, a very high need of, uh, of connectivity and they're just not uh, close enough to fiber to, to have this. And therefore, they had to invest in, in this. Um, the con is that um, the latency, so the, the time it takes when you click on the button to get the information back, uh, was over 500 milliseconds. So it's half a second. It doesn't sound like a lot of time, but actually, if you're doing it all the time, you're processing information it meant that the number of uh, users uh, that, that a typical company, like running a, a CRM system, an ERP, or an industrial process, could not use those technologies to make it work. They had to find something else, and typically fiber. Now, what's coming online now are the middle altitude and the low altitude satellite. So Starlink is a low altitude satellite. OneWeb is a low altitude satellite. Um, SES and Power is a middle altitude satellite. So all those constellations are coming online now, and they bring two things. First of all, they bring much more capacity per satellite. So that means that you get more, more megabit per second for the same thing, and therefore the cost is going to decrease. The second thing they bring is that because they are flying lower, and therefore they're closer to us, the latency is much lower. So we go from half a second to maybe a tenth of a second between the, the time you click on the button and you get the information back, which is still a bit longer than fiber. Maybe fiber is, is a hundred of a second. But it is good enough for lots of those mission-critical applications to work. And therefore, the number of things you can do now with a satellite connection as increase exponentially. 
So two things then, better cost, more affordable service and better service and more use cases are possible. So that means that the equation between what you could do before and what you can do now with those satellites is has changed dramatically. The additional thing that is changing very rapidly in the satellite industry is that those big parabolic antennas that you had to install on the top of a building or in the field, taking a lot of room, are very expensive, are now changing. Because the satellites are much closer to us, you can now install something that is a flat antenna. Those flat antennas are cheaper, they're easier to install, and, and they are very easy to maintain. So you don't, if you change satellite, you don't have to change the direction of the antennas and so forth. So anybody can do it. Um, and, and therefore, we are entering into um, a time where people are going to be able to go to a shop, pick up a site antenna, put it on the side of their kitchen table or on the top of their roof, plug and play, and it works. So we're very excited about this because it opens the satellite industry to the masses a little bit as we've seen the mobile industry. Mobile industry in, in the 90s went very fast between people having very heavy handsets attached to their cars to having a, a, a mobile phone in their pocket for you know a tenth or a hundredth of the price. So we very much hope that the democratization of the satellite uh, technology and, and service will actually change a lot of things. For example, in South Africa, a lot of people are struggling with load shedding. Mobile networks are not always available because at some point they don't have enough fuel in the buy station to make it work. Some fiber networks are vulnerable. People can now install satellite dishes at an affordable price by themselves and get access pretty much all the time to the internet, which is going to change the way they work, for example, at home, the way they communicate, the way they live, and, and enjoy the internet. Keen to understand, given uh, all of those developments uh, that are happening in the satellite industry and uh, all the, I don't know what word to use, uh, all the progress uh, that's being made to reduce latency, increase speeds, um, and also some of the practicalities that you spoke about just now, smaller antennas being able to still connect in in uh, in times of uh, power outages and the like. What is liquid's appetite to actually sh uh, what you call this to actually shoot up its own satellite into the what you call this into the sky and i ask that because when you talk to local operators that do offer a uh, a satellite uh, option of some sort there tends to be a partnership um you know that's happening with some of the satellite providers someone actually has a satellite in the sky and you 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 partner and then you you know are able to use the services from there i guess the question is just around um you know what drives a company like liquid to say okay fine we will partner you know versus because up until now you guys haven't to my knowledge uh Put a, put a satellite into the sky. Why is that? Well, that's a good question because we are now at Liquid Intelligent Technology, as we said in the introduction, we are a big company now. Um, Dataport is a big division of Liquid Intelligent Technologies. 
um, and, and our satellite um, division is, is a main player in the industry in sub-Saharan Africa. So to launch um, a, a traditional geostationary high altitude satellite and to make it work is about $500 million. To um, launch and, and make work a constellation of low altitude satellites, the likes of Starlink, OneWeb, that's probably about $5 billion. Now those are big numbers, even for big company like Liquid Intelligent Technologies. So our approach has been to uh, assess whether we need to have control uh, and, and, and the commercial benefit of an entire constellation or of an entire satellite for ourselves and for our customers. And the answer has always been so far that we are better off partnering with people who do that for a living, uh, the likes of Intelsat, Utelsat, Starlink, uh, OneWeb, and, and, and soon others. Um, leave them do this and invest in the infrastructure in the sky and for us to become their main preferred partner across Africa. And this is very much our position today. We have a distribution um, partners, our own, and, and, and resellers in 30 countries out of 54 across uh, Africa. So we're basically present in, in the majority of countries already, and we're working towards more. And this is our value add. We know the customers, we know what they need. We are able to provide them with fiber, with microwave connectivity, with satellite, with cloud and cybersecurity solutions, with support when they need it. And this is our position in the value chain. We're going to continue to expand our place in the ecosystem, adding new services. I spoke about AI, and we've got great plans on that for the future. Um, but at the moment, we're not. Uh, putting capital in the sky. <laughs> I like that. Um, and I think that can help us uh, to round up the discussion uh, because from a telecoms infrastructure point of view, there are a lot of trends uh, that are happening, uh, what you call this, that are happening in the space. Um, so for us, you know, to end off, we've got two things. Um, the first one being um, I guess your thoughts around infrastructure sharing, because I guess, uh, you know, what you've just said now about um, liquid stance in relation to satellite provision, you know, that is an infrastructure sharing, you know, type of, uh, you know, type of uh, question uh, that you guys have answered for yourselves. And we are seeing a lot of these debates in the rest of the industry. Um, right now, you know, everyone wants to own fiber. Um, and to have the largest, uh, what you call this, the largest networks, um, you know, of fiber. But we're seeing a move towards mobile operators, for example, selling off their networks, uh, their mast and towers businesses. We're seeing it in South Africa. Um, I think MTN has done it across all of its um, territories on the mobile side. Um, you know, so very it's always interesting to see you know, where we are in the cycle, you know, uh, as to which types of assets operators are, are looking to hold on to uh, versus which ones they are, you know, willing to share. So just uh, if you could uh, give us a little bit of insight into, you know, some of the things that, uh, you know, you're seeing on the ground on that front. 
Yeah, thanks for the up. Infrastructure sharing is, is, is an important topic. And as the um, liquid intelligence technologies, we've made our living through infrastructure sharing. We have built and invested in, in fiber, in data center, and other assets on behalf of our customers. And some of those customers are partners, competitors, you know, customers, and so forth. Um, mobile operators uh, use our fiber, uh, use other assets. We share investment in subsea cables uh, with you know the big names on the industry. Uh, Facebook Meta, who sponsored one on the east and west side with Two Africa, um, another one on the west side, Equiano. Uh, all those infrastructure are actually shared by different players coming together and and uh, coexisting on the same asset. I don't think it would be possible to develop an ecosystem without sharing. So we all have to do our part and find out where it makes sense to build ourselves. And we just completed a large building DRC, for example, um, that we now share with mobile operators and other players. Um, and, and when uh, you don't want to build because it already exists, and then you know you use this infrastructure. You know, a few years ago we, we brokered a deal with Orange in West Africa. We built a large network connecting five or six countries together. And we said, listen, we're not going to duplicate that. We're going to just use ours and make our customers benefit from this network without having to reinvest in it. It's the same for satellite. Satellite operators are sharing this uh, infrastructure to to many players. And, and we are one of those who are benefiting from their investment uh, and, and give that benefit to our, to our own customers. I think this is going to continue, uh, even though we are all using marketing and, and announcements to say, listen, we are the biggest, we are the greatest. Um, we are actually all investing together. Uh, and behind the scene, there are many, many deals being made and broker to actually give access to each other uh, to all this infrastructure and actually being able to present to our customers a, a Pan-African fiber network, Pan-African satellite network, Pan-African cloud and cybersecurity offering and so forth. Yeah, it is an interesting one. And going forward, uh, we'll be watching to see how things evolve, um, you know, in the space because uh, I think 20 years ago, you, 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 if you were a mobile operator that was serious, you had to own your network. Um, you know, but nowadays that doesn't seem to be, um, as much of a thing as it is right now. And, um, I guess it comes down to the question of, do you put down capital expenditure or are you okay with spending, you know, operational expenditure? And, uh, I, I guess the sharing piece, um it does seem to be increasing because at the end of the day you don't want to have you know dupli you know too much duplication um if someone already has the infrastructure in a particular region in a particular space a town a city you might as well you know use that um you know as opposed to trying to put down you know billions um you know to do you know to do something else so it will be interesting to see how uh the space develops from that point of view now to end off 
We've spoken quite a bit about these different layers um, of connectivity that uh, yourselves and other operators are investing in, right? We've spoken about, um, I think we spoke about mobile, we've spoken about fiber, we've spoken about undersea, we've spoken quite at length around satellite, and there's also data centers that also feed, um, you know, uh, as part of uh, these different layers. Is there anything else that we are, that we are missing in this discussion or is there are there any emergent technologies um you know from a connectivity point of view that we haven't highlighted or um that you think people aren't aware about or is it literally just those and uh the fact that the industry is trying to make refinements on what's existing i think there are there are going to be a, a constant stream of innovation in the connectivity business uh, to make our networks more efficient. Uh, we spoke about fiber, we spoke about satellite, it's, you know, innovation. Every year, uh, equipment manufacturers and, and vendors are coming with new ways to use uh, the laws of physics to deliver more uh, connectivity and, and uh, internet access at a better cost uh, to, to all our customers. I think for us at Liquid Intelligent Technologies, it's very important to uh, use the connectivity to provide the um, service. And that's why we've invested in data centers, as you mentioned, with uh, Africa Data Center, our sister company, uh, but also to invest in uh, cloud and cybersecurity, access to you know, the, the Amazon cloud, the Google cloud, the Microsoft cloud, and, and many others, uh, so that our enterprise customers in particular, but also government and sometimes um, smaller companies and individuals have access to those services as they would in any other part of the world uh, to develop their business, to develop their interest, um, and, and, um, and, and intellectually and commercially and, and, and business uh, can develop on the back of that. So, yes, there would be innovation. I think we spoke in a few words at some point about artificial intelligence, which is coming in a big way to Africa. Um, it's going to change the way we use uh, our, our networks, our services, our applications, uh, the way we interact with each other. And I think it's, it's more for me on this side that we're going to see revolutions. Um, on the connectivity side, it's going to continue uh, innovating more on a, on, a, on a progressive basis. But on the service side, on the software side, I think we're going to see big changes very soon. All right. So it has been a really great discussion just talking about uh, uh, telecoms infrastructure. I think the, the, the geek inside of me, you know, uh, my, 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 my spirit is fulfilled. Um, you know, in this discussion, we went, you know, quite deep, um, you know, just talking about the different types of um, telecoms infrastructure and connectivity um, that are there and what's needed, um, you know, for the African continent. As we said at the beginning, it's one thing to say that we want to be part of the technology technology revolution, uh, but you do need the infrastructure in place um, to make that happen. You need to actually be connected. And there's a lot of investment that is, um, you know, going on right now. And at least from the things that David was uh, talking about, it does seem as if right now, uh, probably the most exciting space is the satellite space, um, you know, uh, and uh, you know, some of the advantages that uh, that particular space is going to bring because, uh, 
um, it's even got the likes of uh, Liquid considering, you know, uh, their own mix of how they deliver services to their customers. You know, do we go down with fiber or do we, you know, partner with a satellite company because uh, the technology has improved, um, you know, quite substantially, albeit not as perfect as um, maybe not perfect isn't the right word, but not as good as where fiber is, uh, but, you know, certainly better than um, the old paradigm that we had uh, back in the day. And it was interesting to get a sense of what makes an operator decide whether or not to actually put down their own infrastructure in a particular space. Uh, you know, uh, satellite being the one place where David said there are people that are good at that thing. And, you know, we've decided that they should continue to do that and we will, um, you know, partner with them, um, you know, on that particular front. Spoke quite a bit um, around uh, the different layers, mobile, fiber, undersea cable, um, you know, satellite, the data centers, uh, but ended off, you know, talking about the, some of the other things uh, such as your cybersecurity as well as, um, you know, your cloud infrastructure that also needs to be in place uh, to actually make sure that you have an, an effective system um, that uh, works together. So that's been it. We're talking to David Uren, who is uh, the CEO of uh, Liquid Data Port, a part of Liquid Intelligent Technologies. David, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks, Billy. My pleasure. And that's been it for this edition of the Business Day Spotlight. Remember that you can find our latest podcasts on Business Live. That's under the podcast Business Day Spotlight tab on Twitter. We're hashtag BD Spotlight. And remember that you can review and subscribe for free on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you choose to get your pods casted. I've been Mudio Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. And this has been another edition of the Business Day Spotlight, which is a multimedia live production. So from my Myself and the rest of the team. It is a good evening, good afternoon, and good morning.